Everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody cries. Well, I'm sorry you had to hear that. It's been a rough week for all of us. This is Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and with me, as always, a man who gets through the dark times the old-fashioned way by listening to K-pop while staring into an open flame. My brother, Mike. <sighs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Mike, what's your favorite K-pop band? I don't know a K-pop band. I will sometimes catch my middle school students looking at their YouTube videos, but I don't know what they are, <laughs> honestly. I do understand that it's music, though, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I once got on the bad side of the BTS crew on Twitter, and they just raked me over the coals. That's, that's a I bad crowd about, to get on the bad side. Of. I only understand about half the words you just said because I don't know what B- BTS means. BTS or... is the only K-pop band I know, um, oh. but I only know them because their fans once wait weren't there aren't ra- they like social justice warriors too? Like aren't aren't their oh, fans yeah. like social justice people? Oh, yeah. interesting interesting yeah. it's interesting that it came after me because i was trying to make a point agreeing with them you know saying like hey i agree with you about these things and they just destroyed me for it it was rough well, sometimes you need to be brought down a peg or two so i know it just Way goes to, go. to show you that like communicating online is difficult it is it's it's hard you, you try to agree they hate you you disagree yeah, they're gonna hate you even more so twitter right there that should be twitter's <laughs> tagline right there um anyway This week, we'll review what was an arduous week in Royals fandom, discuss how the team can pull themselves out of it, and preview what will hopefully be a better week for the Royals this week. Mike, how are you holding up in these difficult, difficult times? Well, I'd be holding up better if you weren't using words like arduous, but uh, not I have a thesaurus right next to me, (laughs) so I've got to use it. I spent $10 on this thing. I got you. It's not good at the uh, Mike Mead household over here. Just... uh, you know, watching a game, knowing you're basically out of it, and then just continuing to watch that game because you have a podcast you do with your brother and you want to be prepared for it. So it's it's rough, but, uh, you know, it's a week. It's a week and a, a very, very, very long season. So that's what I keep telling myself. I also heard, I can't remember, I heard on the radio from somebody on 610 say, you know, if through 30 games, we had said their record was whatever it was when it was 30 games, 16 um, and 14. Maybe? Yeah, there we go. Somewhere around there. If we just said they were going to be 16 and 14 at the beginning of the year after 30 games, would you have taken it? And that kind of gives me a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would have, um, but can't say they're trending in a good direction here. This is, this is not positive. So uh, yeah, not, not great. It's not right now, but I, the thing that gets me through is, is thinking back to the times when, we didn't have baseball on when like we didn't have a ton of sports to watch when it was like, you know, just pandemic times and you had to just hang around with uh, yourself, you know, or yeah. your loved ones gross. Um, yeah. And so uh, <laughs> the people who live in your immediate household, get out of my face. I see you every day. And so, you know, I can still enjoy some baseball no matter how, I guess you're right though. The tough part is when they get down so fast in a game, yeah. you know, it's and like, okay, several times. we got eight innings left to go. You know, like uh, <laughs> that makes it a little tougher, but uh We'll, we'll press through. It is just a week and a very long season. The Royals are only one game under 500 right now. Who knows? You know, the good times and the bad, they come all, all together. Uh, so, you know, we press on. 
I did want to mention we have no new new reviews this week, but we did get some excellent five-star ratings in Apple Club Podcasts. So I want to say thank you so much to those who did, gave us those ratings and to those who listened, those who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed so far. Uh, we really appreciate the support. You can stay glued to this podcast because we're starting to cook up some fun ideas, some interactive elements uh, that we're going to be implementing throughout the summer. So uh, maybe some Royals Weekly swag that has been thrown out there, uh, some cool design stuff. We have very um, crafty and artistic uh, significant others who have w- wanted to put some of that stuff together for us. So uh, stay tuned. We will maybe be putting some of that out there for everybody before too long. But thank you so much so far for subscribing, listening, rating, reviewing, doing all that stuff to help us build this community. Uh, now let's talk about the week from hell. All right. Last week in Royals baseball, the Royals made a few roster moves. The biggest one that people were talking about, they brought up Daniel Lynch. They also brought up Sebastian Rivero, and both of them made their major league debuts this week. Daniel Lynch was okay in his debut. Um, He struggled a little bit, had some trouble with command, but the stuff looked live. The stuff looked good. But then in his second start, he got completely shelled in just a terrible, terrible outing. I think he went two thirds of an inning, gave up something like seven runs, maybe eight, I can't eight runs, gave up I eight think, runs. Yeah. Yeah. Real it bad. bad. It was a real fluke, terrible outing. There've been notions out there that maybe he was tipping his pitches. Obviously his command was not good. So we don't really know yet. Mike Matheny came out and sort of hinted that they found some things they want to clean up. We don't know what they're going to do with Lynch. They might send him back down. But if you'll recall last week's episode, I said that I was worried about Daniel Lynch coming up. I would have rather he made four or five starts in the minors. And we got a chance to see why I would have rather seen that. Um, we want to, he didn't do that well in spring training. He got hit in spring training and we just saw, you know, a redo of that in this last game against the White Sox. He just got shelled. Yeah. And I think maybe they were seeing things at the alternate site before the minor league season got started that made them think that, hey, he can come up and contribute. I don't know that they were thinking, oh, he's going to be the Daniel Lynch that we think he's going to grow into, but they thought, hey, he can contribute. And then you mentioned there's going to be guys that get starts. Now, we really questioned when they brought him up, we really questioned taking Junis out of that starting lineup. But as you mentioned then, it may be more of a use thing, like, a, hey, our bullpen needs Junis so bad, we have to take him out of the starting lineup and put him in there. And then you look down at the minors. Who's the guy that's closest to ready? It was probably Daniel Lynch. Um, not that any guys were all that close, but if you're going to do that, maybe you bring up a guy who's already been here this year, like a Carlos Hernandez, who we probably think isn't ready to be in the majors yet either, but there isn't anybody down there that is. And you don't want Daniel Lynch to be your sacrificial lamb because you need innings. You know, you don't want your number one pitching prospect to be like, Hey, he's not ready, but we got to bring him up because we need innings from somebody. That's just not how it works. So. Uh, wish he would have done better. Did like what I saw in that first one. His stuff is unbelievable still. Luckily, I didn't get a chance to see him in that second outing. So blinked yeah. and you would have missed it. He was only there for two in it for two well, hours. Yeah, I, was, uh, I, I tuned in in like the third or fourth, I think, right in the middle of when Bubich was pitching. So yeah, it was bad. Yeah, you're right. You don't want your number one pitching prospect to be a sacrificial lamb like that. And that's what I was thinking. I asked the question last time, is this because they need innings? Is this because he's ready? Or is this because they think he can help them win? And those aren't all the same thing. And we saw a perfect example of that in that second game. If he's not ready, which it doesn't look like he is, then you shouldn't bring him up just because you think he can help you win, right? Like now is not the heart of your window. You're jeopardizing something more valuable than a couple of one start he's going to make here in May. 
You know, it's just, it's not worth it ultimately to do that. And we'll see what they do with him. I have a sense that I have a feeling that they're going to send him back down and have Ju- have uh, Bubich make that next start for him. But it just doesn't make any sense to me to, to make that move until you've seen for four or five starts in the minors that he's got that command worked out. Um, well, I mean, they got some, some data, they got some data on him and they can say now like, Oh, clearly he has things he needs to work on. Clearly he's either tipping his pitches or he has got mechanical issues that need to be sorted out so that he can get his command on point because it was bad in both yeah. of those starts. It was bad. And so um, hopefully he can get some things worked out. I'd love to see things work out for him. I think they will. I think ultimately he'll be fine. But do you get a, some stark evidence that at the highest level, it's not just about your stuff. You have to be able to command the ball. Yeah. And t- two things real quick. I think the reason that some people are thinking, oh, maybe he was tipping pitches is because they're trying to like read through the lines on what Matheny said. Matheny comes out and says, oh, for sure, we found some things that he needs to fix. And it's like, oh, well, then is it something that is super easily fixable, like he's tipping his pitches or something that's a lot more difficult. Like he needs a, obviously I don't think they're going to change his mechanics because of one start, but is it something a little bit more difficult that's going to take time? I don't know. People want to say, Hey, he's tipping pitches because he's a number one pitching prospect and he got killed so bad in an inning. It had to be something like that, which that's not necessarily true, especially this is my second point because you're facing the white Sox. They're even with the guys they have out, they are still maybe the best lineup in baseball. I mean, you know, you might say like the Dodgers or the Yankees, but the White Sox are certainly the best lineup in our division. And yeah, he got hit around because he he's a lefty. They're all dominant right-handed hitters. And it, is anybody shocked that a guy making his second start got hit around by a lineup like that? I'm not. I'm not either. Somebody else floated that theory that that he was tipping his pitches through and put up like a really cool gif on Twitter. I wish I could give this person credit because I don't remember who it was, but they put up this gif sort of side by side showing him throwing different pitches. And you could tell that there were differences in the way he delivered them ways that might give a hint to a hitter that, Oh, this is the pitch that's coming. Um, I don't know. That's, that's almost a conspiracy theory at this point. And then they coupled that notion with what Matheny said about cleaning things up. And before too long, you get this notion that, Hey, maybe he's tipping his pitches, whether or not he's tipping his pitches, that doesn't change the fact that he could not locate them where they needed to be. Uh, and so that's going to be a problem that needs to be rectified moving forward, right? Even if they don't know where it's, what's coming, you can't put a slider in the middle of the plate against, you know, your mean Mercedes, he's going to crush it, right? Against, Abreu. you know, yeah. well, even him, he, he, he was probably the worst of all their hitter. He's like slumping right now, Yeah. but you can't put it there against him. You can't put it there against Mercedes. You can't put it there against Anderson. You can't put it there against anybody in that lineup because they're just going to start crushing. And, uh, and that's what, and that's yeah. what they did. Sebastian Rivera also made his debut. Want to say good for him. I also want to remind everybody he's still only 22 years old, which he's the exact same age as MJ Melendez. And yet in my mind, more advanced as a defensive catcher uh, and probably not more advanced as an offensive uh, player, but maybe more consistent in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and so put, put together better at bats. So Melendez seems to be doing okay at triple or at double A so far. So we'll see on that one to look at the week as a whole. The Royals went, as everybody knows, 0-7 this week. That's zero wins. No wins whatsoever. That brings their overall record to 16-17. and 17. They were 16-10 and 10 coming into this week. I just, it, the numbers blow my mind. Well, and um, we said, the well, thing you really got to avoid is getting swept all week and starting a big losing streak. And what do they do? They immediately come out and do that. <laughs> I know. We wanted four wins out of these two series. And we said, we'd be happy with just three. We got zero. 
Uh, it's and- funny. I, I, I put this in the, in our little rundown here. Uh, people were talking about, well, what if we go to the playoffs right there under the, under our little record? I just put playoffs. We can't win a single game. A classic <laughs> Jim Mora uh, quote there. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you saw from uh, rainy, rainy, Gilizarily, uh the Royals super fan and blogger and all these things. He put out some thing on Twitter that was like, by the way, in case you didn't know, the Royals consistently have at least six game losing streaks in April or May and have like every year since forever. And it's, it's like any year that they do poorly, they have a six game losing streak in April or May. Any year that they've done well, I think 15, 14 and 15 or 13, 14 and 15, maybe they did not. And that's why as Royals fans, we're almost conditioned now. Like well, at some point they're going to have like a nine game or they just drop like that's not normal. It's not normal to drop that many games in a row. Let's, let's keep it optimistic to some degree though. We got to talk about strong performances. We want to get some hope infused into this episode. Yeah. So strong performances, Mike, who do you, who are you pointing to as the person you want to talk about? Well, uh, earlier in the season, really before the season got started, uh, I was telling everybody I'm a, I'm a Chris Bubich fan. All right. Not ashamed to admit it. Dang it. All right. <laughs> I like Bubich. He had two good appearances this week. Uh, the, the role that they kind of have him in now is somewhat of a, Somewhat of what a like a long reliever role uh, you would have seen like Gil Mesh dominate at eleven million dollars a year, but two appearances this week, six point two innings, no runs given up, only three Ks, which uh, is a little low for him, and three walks, and that was kind of the thing that scared me the most from uh, the Lynch start. He came in and did really well in the Lynch start. Lynch comes out and thanks him in the the post game presser. Matheny talks about him in the post game. He pitched, I think, five and two thirds innings, but he did give up three walks, which is always scary for me because he's not a guy that can really be putting people on base against a White Sox team that has actually seen him quite a bit. Um, so th- there's no surprises. They know about his changeup. They know what kind of pitcher he is, and he came out and still did really well in that Lynch start. So uh, positive things from Bubich. You think he's going to get this next start in the rotation? I don't know if he gets the next one. It, I think it kind of depends on what the Royals feel like was the problem with Lynch. But if he doesn't get this next one, he's going to get a start at some point this year. Uh, that's going to happen. Yeah. And it looked like his command was uh, more on point uh, than it was in spring training, especially. And the only other person I could really think of for strong performances were really scraping the barrel for strong performances from a team that just lost seven games in a row, eight games in a row, actually, was Salvador Perez. He keeps hitting. He'll keep hitting, right? And so he went eight for 23 with a couple of extra base hits this week. Uh, he had one game where he was like four for four, I think. He was just the only person hitting. I think there were five hits that game. He had four of them. Um, yeah. And so he right now he's really the only one in the offense who is consistently performing, except for maybe Andrew Benintendi. He continues to do pretty well. Um, Merrifield is still slumping a little bit, or at least less than Merrifield standards. Um, and so... It's really just Perez and maybe Benintendi a little bit carrying the offense at this point. Uh, when I say carrying the offense, I mean carrying an offense that isn't scoring. So, you know, to what it, whatever that means. Um, dragging. It's called dragging the offense. They continue to drag the offense while it bleeds out on the ground. Uh, and so, yeah. Whit Merrifield uh, has had a few hits too. He's had a few, uh, which is good. He's not, I kind of expected a hot streak from him because, uh, you know, he was, in that slump for a while, you kind of figured, okay, here comes a swing where he's going to, you know, hit two, three hits every game for, you know, five or six games and just really sort of jump back into it. Hasn't had that yet. Maybe it's still coming. Yeah. Um, because Pos- the things, things don't look that bad for him. It's just, you know, either not Pos- falling. positive sign from today is he did. Dr- he drove one to the wall today. A lot of the contact he'd been having, even on the hits he was getting was a little weaker. So it's good to see him 
barrel one up a little bit more and uh, lead off the game with a double today. Uh, that was the only run they scored in that inning because mm-hmm. Sal grounded into a double play. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how it worked out. And for him though, like exit velocity matters for everybody, but he is the type of dude who gets hits without it a lot. And so, you know, it's those hits that sort of drive that batting average way up when he's hitting, you know, 80 exit velocity, 80 mile per hour exit velocity, weak line drives to the outfield that drop in front of outfielders. That's his big, that's his game, you know? And so hopefully he gets back to doing some of that. Uh, It's mostly a matter of balls just dropping for him, but Sal Perez has still had a good week this week. So uh, good for him. Uh, the struggling players, that's easy to easy to choose from there. In fact, we have too much to choose from. It's tough to pick just one or two when uh, the struggles have been so profound this week. But a couple struggled even more than others. Mike, who was the king shit of Turd Mountain this week? <laughs> Shout out to Sturgill Simpson on that one. Jacob Junis is the guy I'm going to talk about. And I, I hate to put him into a category like this because he was going so well as in the starting rotation. Uh, we liked his cutter. You know, obviously he still had the slider going well. Uh, they move him to the bullpen and he immediately falls apart. The, I don't know if that's a product of that or if this is just a regression to what we had seen from Jake Junis in the past. 3.2 innings this week of relief, seven earned runs. And the scariest part of that is in 3.2 innings, he gave up three home runs. And that is what has bitten him every year we've had him. I mean, even the years he was at his best, he gave up too many home runs. But you're hoping that that's this is, and I hate to say this because it means that maybe it's affecting him mentally, but you hope it's just the transition to the bullpen that has him doing this. I can't see that that would be the case, but maybe it is. And I hope it is because he's likely again to get starts in the starting rotation at some point. So yeah, it's, it's a tough week for Junis and we'll see what the reasoning is hopefully. Yeah, I actually do think it's just the bullpen. I mean, his stuff hasn't been as good since he got moved to the bullpen, uh, you can see that the cutter is not as tight. The slider is not as tight either. And I don't know if that's like an issue of like the way you warm up is different in the bullpen than it is uh, when you're a starter. And maybe that's different for him. The way you prepare is different. I also think to some degree you can have success as a starter with less velocity. Whereas in the bullpen, you kind of need that increased velocity and that heightened, more heightened stuff. If that makes sense. I feel like as a starter, he can go out there and just sort of pace himself and, and get through innings and, and that sort of thing without dynamite electric stuff. Cause even his best stuff now isn't dynamite electric. It's okay. It's pretty good. You know, his cutter got a really good slider, but it's different if he's trying to sort of consistently go through innings uh, when he's got to go in there and be like a one out guy, a blow somebody away guy, a one inning guy. That's not him. He doesn't have the arm for that, right? He doesn't, he's just not, He's not that electric. And so I thought it was a bad decision to move him to the bullpen. I think it's showing that it's a bad decision. Some of it's just also like luck and regression and that sort of stuff. But I'd like to see him move back to the rotation and hopefully it hasn't shattered his confidence. But you can't look at this week and say like that decision was correct. It worked out well. It has not. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point about the warming up thing that I'm really surprised. I, and I don't, I don't listen to the whole broadcast because broadcasts make me crazy. Um, but I listened to some of it and I haven't heard them bring that up at all. Like, oh, maybe Junus has been struggling because when you're a starting pitcher, you have all day to warm up and to start thinking and making plans on how you're going to attack hitters and do all those things. And as a reliever, you just don't. And the other thing that I think you brought up and is extremely, extremely important, his velocity does go up slightly when he's in the bullpen. So he's throwing, but he's throwing, you're talking about a difference of 91 to 93 
that ain't moving Jack. Okay. You've really, he's not the kind of guy that's going to get that relief pitcher bump. That is going to be something effective for him anyway. It's not his relief pitcher bump is from a average, fa- from a below average fastball to a still below average fastball. Yeah. A hittable fastball to hittable fastball. So, yeah, I agree. I think, I think he's one of those guys that is a rotation guy or probably isn't a guy in your, yeah. on your pitching staff. Um, yeah, that's exactly what he is. Um, he's a four or five starter or he's nothing. And so rough, rough week for, for Junis this week, but lot of season left. Let's talk about one of the other struggling players for this week. Somebody who we knew his name would end up on this list eventually. Nicky Lopez. We got to talk about him because he was everybody's favorite story to start the season. He was playing well. He was hitting, which is, you know, a good thing, but that has taken a turn in the wrong direction. And so Lopez was one in seven for 17 in the last week. He got a hit today, which got him out of an O for 17. Uh, and he's bringing his season totals down to 205 as a batting average, 311 as an on base, and 295 as a slugging. That's a 606 OPS. His OPS actually dipped under 600 for a little bit. That will not play. And the hard part with Lopez is I think this is his ceiling, honestly. I think this is who he is. Not like this week necessarily, but I think he's maybe slightly better than his season average numbers, but not much, right? I think he's always going to be in the low 200s. I think he's always going to be in the low 300s as an on-base. And I think he's never going to be much above 300 as a slugging. He hit a triple today and I was you know, shocked. And so I think he has very little value as a bench player because he is not a very good shortstop. And so really he's defensively only a good second baseman and being a good defensive second baseman doesn't go very far. So this is hard for some people to hear because they love Nicky Lopez as a person and like as an ethos, as a, as a, as an archetype for the scrappy ball player. But the fact is that this scrappy ball player has had parts of three seasons to show that he can hit and he has not. So there are going to be options when Mondesi comes back. There are going to be options if Bobby Witt Jr. starts hitting better, though he hasn't hit great at Northwest Arkansas either. There might even be options when someone like an Eric Mejia comes back. He's hurt right now at AAA, but I just don't see how you can continue to let Nicky Lopez hit every day in your lineup when he has never showed the capacity to do that well. Yeah, and for a player like Nicky Lopez, you cannot go a full week where you walk twice. Can't be done. He needs every chance to get on base, and he only walked twice this week. You know, that if you're a player like Nicky Lopez, you have to be walking pretty consistently, and he just doesn't do that at the major league level. Uh, I know he's done it some at the minor league level, although I don't know that that's really been enough either. Um, yeah, even to be a, an effective bench player, you would need a guy who, like what Ben Benintendi was doing when he wasn't hitting, a guy who no matter what day I put him in as an effective bench player, he's going to do something to help me. I know I'm going to get solid defense and I'm going to get something offensively, a walk, a hit, uh, something. You're just not getting it from Lopez. That's not something you can count on on a daily basis. Yes. He's a good bunter. (laughs) That's about it. Okay. So yeah, it's, it it does. It it is sad for me to say that because I, I think Lopez is a great human being. I'm sure from everything I've heard, great person. And he's an underdog because he doesn't have, you know, he's not a giant. He's not super strong. He's not super fast. Like he doesn't have any tools that you're like, Oh, this guy's, you know, that. And so you really want to pull for him, but I just don't think he's got a spot even on a bench. Like maybe you say a bench player because he can play probably three 
infield positions. I just don't know that he plays any of them, but second base better than Hanser Alberto. Here's the thing. Sometimes David gets his ass kicked. Okay. <laughs> um, we want to believe that David always beats Goliath, but actually like 90% of the times that he doesn't. And the things that we root for Nicky Lopez about the fact that he doesn't have all these tools are actually the things that are holding him back, right? Like he actually can't compete on this level because he does not have the tools to do it. And that's, that's, that's a rough thing to hear and a rough thing to say, but that doesn't mean he'll be out of baseball forever or anything like that. Maybe he would have a better shot um, in a different league, or maybe he would have, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think it's there. And they're going to have to sort of confront that before too long because Mondesi will be back because they will have better options or different options at the very least who could use a chance at the major league level. But anyway, if we're looking back on the week as a whole, what are some things that we start to think about like that stand out to us? What are the themes for this week of darkness? Um, <laughs> the week of darkness. I'm going with uh, inconsistency. You know, you said oh, they've been consistently terrible. Uh, yeah, that, that's true. Um, but you'll get a, a good, a decent start from a guy like you got a decent start from Danny Duffy against the Indians and offense couldn't do anything. You'll get a game where a starter gives up a whole bunch of runs like in Lynch's start, eight, eight runs in the first inning. And then the bullpen does pretty good for the rest of the game. So bullpen does good starting pitching and hitting don't do anything. Um, and so there's one aspect of the, at least one, sometimes two, and let's be honest, sometimes three um, this week that really killed us in every single game. And for this team to win, you're going to have to put two of three together to win almost any game. You're not going to defense. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about the defense. They were so bad last week. week, Yeah. (laughs) And haven't been, I mean, they're Uh, never great. Right. Um, Yeah. But they've been slightly Uh, better this week. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Four aspects of the game. Four aspects of the game. We need two of four or three of four to win just about any day. We're not going to go out there and club somebody to death with bats very often. Yeah. And this is the, the theme I came up with for this week is sort of tied to that in some ways. And my theme is regression, right? Um, I think this week represents a hard, cruel, brutal, devastating, mean, right? Yeah. 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 Um, like and that's to some ways, in some ways that's good news, right? Like we were flying high for a while, but we were always set to come back to earth a little bit. Right. And so like, in baseball, the regression sometimes curve can sometimes be real steep. And we felt the real steepness of the regression curve. Does did anybody think before the season that this team was better than a 500 team? No, I don't know anybody who did. Um, and yet when the regression curve pulls us back down to 500, or in this case, one game below 500, it's going to feel steep and it's going to feel hard and it's going to hurt. Right. But the good news of that is it will bounce back, right? Like eventually we will regress again back to the mean of, you know, wherever we're supposed to be. Right. And for most people, they thought it was around 75 to 80 wins. Right. And so, yes, we're feeling a real steep regression curve right now, but you know, it won't last, right. We won't lose every game for the rest of the year. And so they have an off day tomorrow. Maybe they, on the other side of that off day, they start pulling us back towards where we think we need to be. And I think I can speak for a lot of Royals fans here. I just wish that regression curve was a little more gradual. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It, it makes fans kind of disillusioned with a team when like, let's say you were a person who was maybe following a little bit and then you start watching games this week, which oh. is what a lot of casual fans do. They, they need to wait and see that this is going to be a product that they should be watching. Well, let's say you started watching last week or you watched this week only, or even you've been, this is the third week you've been watching the team and blammo an eight game losing streak. 
that's not going to be good for a lot of the casual fans. You and I are going to yeah. keep watching because we're gluttons for abuse, but you know, that it's not great for to, to, to lose that many games right in a row. We need regression. That's nice and soft and comfortable and be like, okay, well, at least we won two days ago. Um, but no, that's not happening. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at Royals Weekly. We tweet during virtually every game, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. Mike, when a team gets into the kind of funk the Royals are in, people start looking for answers. What is it? Is it the offense? Is it the defense? Is it the pitching's fault? The simple answer is yes, all of those things. But you don't pay us for the simple answer. You pay us for the needlessly complex answer. Uh, They don't pay us at all. Are you getting paid? We don't need to talk about that. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Instead of trying to tackle everything, we're going to focus on just the offense. Sure, we could talk about the pitching, the defense, the bullpen, all that stuff. We're going to focus on the offense, which is probably the biggest factor in the team's poor play of late. During this losing streak, the Royals are averaging 2.6 runs per game. They've scored more than four runs only once and were shut out for 28 consecutive innings at one point. That's equivalent to three whole games. So Mike, tell me what is going on with the Royals offensively? Well, first off, when you said the word funk, I really thought we were going into like a George Clinton discussion and I was happy about that. We want the funk. All right. But since we're not, let's talk Royals offense. Um, I think part of this is bad luck. All right. Uh, We talk about regression. That's an unsatisfactory answer. (laughs) That doesn't work. (laughs) I want to punish somebody. That's right. Uh, No, but they were one of eight on balls hit harder than a hundred miles per hour on Sunday. So you've seen, and and I'm pointing to Jorge Soler almost exclusively here. The guy has been hitting the ball hard. He's hitting it on the ground too much. And some of those are just tough luck out for him. And there's been other people as well. Hunter Dozier's hitting the ball hard for part of this week. He had good results at the beginning of the week. And towards the end, he's getting nothing. And so bad luck is going to be a part of this. And that's what baseball is for. And that's one of the reasons they keep so many statistics and so much stuff. Because if all you ever saw from a player was, well, he's 0 for 10 this week. And you didn't see, well, he actually hit four extremely hard baseballs that just got caught. That's part of baseball, right? You don't want it to happen to you all at once like it has for the Royals, it seems like. But yeah, that's that's, uh, that's what happened. Uh, and the other thing here, <clears throat> as far as bad luck goes, tough matchups. You know, we faced two divisional opponents this week, and we caught two really good pitchers for the Indians out of the four. Now, why we couldn't hit McKenzie is beyond me. But two of those pitchers, Shane Bieber, Cy Young, obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball. And Savelli is an extremely competent starting pitcher. So there's two tough matchups there. And we got probably the three best pitchers for the White Sox. You know, you don't want to throw Dallas Keuchel under a bus, but I think, you know, Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, those guys might be interchangeable as far as how good they are. But you face three tough matchups against the White Sox and two really tough ones against the Indians. That's going to be tough. You're not going to run into that every single series. So, yeah, I think that shapes up the bad luck right there. Although we might run again up against it against the White Sox this week, who knows? You know, yeah, we, who knows we're going to end up them again? going up against the exact same three guys. Rodon, Giulio, unbelievable. Lynn. Rodon yeah. was is so good right now. He I is. mean, it's sad that the shoulder issues robbed him of those couple years really 
because we'd be talking about a guy that is top five probably in baseball because he was a number one overall pick. Everybody knew that that guy could friggin' hum it. And he's ran into injury issues, struggled with command at the very earliest part of his career. But boy, he's got it now. Uh, that slider is unhittable. And he was throwing 97, 98 deep into the game the other day. Are you writing his biography or something? Man, are you the guy, are you the the guy can play? Well, I remember need, when he came out. You need a uh, moment alone with him. And I was, I was. That's when I first started looking at the draft, and uh, he was a guy I really liked. And there were some people like, "Oh, I don't think he's a bullpen guy down the road." I'm like, "What? That guy can freaking throw!" Um, Mike, this is Royals Weekly, not Rodon <laughs> Weekly. Okay, Royals Weekly. Between Rodon's him and terrible the, and Scooble for uh, the Tigers, I have got a problem. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. <laughs> we don't. We don't need any of that kind of talk here. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was bad luck has really sort of hurt them this week. I think if, if you were honest with yourself and said they had seven games, we might have maybe thought they would have won three because we sort of acknowledge that at least the White Sox are much better than they are. The Indians are probably a little bit better than they are, but they still should have taken maybe three games. Well, bad luck will take the rest of those three games and snatch them right from you, especially when every hitter you have is slumping at the same time or ev- everything is going wrong for everyone at the same time. But there is some blame to accrue here, right? Like there are some things about the Royals that make them streaky offensively. And one of them is that they swing at non-premium pitches all the time, right? I call this they the are Michael A. High... Taylor effect. This is ah, the Michael, yes. Michael A. The Taylor, Michael a. Taylor is, effect right here. It's big of this. Although let's be honest, Jorge Soler, Michael A. Taylor, Salvador Perez, even like Nicky Lopez at times, even, you know, like even Whit Merrifield at times, Whit Merrifield will swing at non-premium pitches a lot. Now he does more with them than say a Nicky Lopez will. But it's a problem among their lineup uh, that they swing at non-premium pitches frequently. And when I say non-premium, I mean pitches either on the edge of the strike zone or out of the strike zone. And the, the Royals have the third highest swing rate in Major League Baseball. They swing at the third most pitches, but they only have the 14th highest contact rate, meaning they swing and miss a lot. Um, and so it's easier to swing and miss when the ball's A, out of the strike zone, or B, on the edge of the strike zone. It's also easier to put in balls in play weekly if, if they're on the edge of the strike zone. So they're swinging at non-premium pitches, and this is really hurting them uh, because the, the premium pitches give you the opportunity to, one, make better contact, and two, just make contact. Right? Like, you're more likely to make contact on a pitch that's in, the, in the, roughly the middle of the plate or that's belt high rather than at the knees than you are uh, a pitch that's on the edge or out of the strike zone. And so... They need to work on finding a way to make sure they're swinging at premium pitches, especially when they're in hitters count. So a lot of Royals hitters get down in the count. They don't, they don't work counts effectively. They, there are some exceptions. Carlos Santana often works counts effectively, but if, if you're not in two, one, two, Oh, three, one, three, Oh counts, it's really hard to sort of do what you call zone a pitch or do one pitch, one spot where it's like, I'm only swinging at a fastball on the inner third or inner half. I'm o- and then you can let everything else go. They, especially like Michael A. Taylor and others, they could be 3-1. They'll swing at a fastball on the outside edge. They don't care, right? Like, And it's like, ah, don't swing at that pitch on 3-1. Like, mm-hmm. you go to 3-2, right? Like, give yourself another chance to get a premium pitch. And so, yeah, they're having trouble with their approach right now. And it's they're swinging at pitches that they really have a less of a chance to be effective on. And that's hurting them. And I wonder, I always wonder this with the Royals is, is that something that is an organizational focus? Like, is that something in the minors that we're teaching guys? Hey, as far as approach goes, hitting coach to hitting coach, is it something that's consistent throughout the minors and then reinforce it in, at the major league level that 
we want to be swinging at premium pitches. It's not enough to walk a lot. It's are you hitting hitters pitches? Okay. Mm-hmm. Or are you swinging at pitchers pitches and grounding into a double play when the count was three, one, um, you know, stuff like that. I want, this is that. why I can't stand when I listen to an interview with Dayton Moore or read it or JJ Piccolo, or even when I hear like Rex Hudler talking about this in the booth, when they talk about like, when they praise being quote unquote aggressive as a hitter, it drives me nuts because all I hear from them is, Oh, it's good to be aggressive. It's good to be aggressive. It's good to be aggressive. I don't ever hear anyone say it's good to wait for your pitch. It's good to understand where you're most effective as a hitter in the strike zone and waiting for pitches to come into that zone. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and, and it is indicative of me that program or that like organizationally, they do not focus on this enough. And you've seen it from hitter after hitter after hitter that they develop. Mondesi is a great example of this. Here's a guy who went through their entire system, had nothing but top shelf potential and is constantly plagued by the fact that he swings at too many pitches outside the strike zone and on the edges of the strike zone. And this is a big time problem for every hitter who comes through their organization, even guys who oftentimes were praised for their discipline as hitters when they got into the organization. Nick Prado is a great example of that. Came in with a reputation as a really disciplined hitter with a great approach. Now he's swinging it in a, when he got into his 2019 funk. He's swinging at pitches and everywhere, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, other guys too. And it's just, it's, it's one of those things that's like, I think organizationally they have a sense of like, what's best for hitters that actually leads to some really streaky hitting at the major league level and a difficult time facing pitchers who have good command. They struggle mightily. I, we always talk about how they struggle with soft tossing lefties. That's because those guys have good command. And so they're putting the ball in places that the Royals will swing, but won't make good contact. And even when they were winning World Series championships, that was an issue. Like the whole thing was, oh, well, these guys don't strike out. They put the ball in play. But yeah, they do. But they also hit a lot of weak ground balls. Eric Hosmer, who you would hope is your power hitting first baseman, hits ground balls in the infield that are outs because he swings at pitches that are everywhere. And every player that they have really at that time was was doing that. They just had the ability to put those balls in play. And so people were like, oh, Look, this is the way to win baseball games for the Royals. And it was, but you're counting then on having speed to beat out some of those ground balls and the defense making some mistakes, which they did for us, which was great. <laughs> and you're also, but, but you, you need other elements of the team in place to win that way, right? You have to have a lockdown defense. You yeah. have to have a lockdown bullpen. Like these are things that you have to have in place if you're going to win that way. And you also have to have hitters who can make contact on the edges of the strike zone, even outside the strike zone, some anyway, and maybe put it in play a little harder or at the very least bloop singles in and that sort of thing. The Lorenzo um, Kane, Lorenzo Kane could take a, a, a slider down and away that was still in the strike zone and bloop it into right field with the best of them. Even guys like Escobar could do that when he was hot. Salvador mm-hmm. Perez can do that. Um, they had guys at that time who could make contact with good pitchers pitches and still maybe get some hits at scratch hits out of them. The Royals of now are not that same team. And so they need to be thinking about how do we refine our approach to make sure we're swinging at premium pitches, taking walks when walks are offered and really driving the ball instead of swinging constantly at everything that's thrown. Some of that's personnel and it will never change. Michael A. Taylor is not going to become that hitter, Um, but that that is one of the big problems causing their uh, offensive drought. And that, and I think that's where you see the result that we've seen from Taylor, which is He's had, I think, one extra base hit since that first series. Um, let's talk about the bottom of the lineup since since that's where we're going here. And that's kind of the next thing that we're talking about with the lack of production from the offense. When we were winning, when the Royals were winning games, 
we were getting production from Michael A. Taylor and Nikki Lopez. And those are the guys who are consistently going to hit down there. Um, but at that time we had, you know, Ben and was hitting seven for a while. Hanser Alberto would hit down there as well. And he was hitting a little bit more. All of these things were going great down at the bottom of the lineup. We have not seen anything this week from the bottom of the lineup. Jorge Lopez, Michael A. Taylor, nothing, zero. And whoever they're putting in the seven hole, which is, you know, a revolving door of guys kind of, but we've got to be able and even if you throw somebody like a Jorge Soler in there who does, who hits, you know, fourth or fifth, um, he hasn't done or anything sixth. or sixth and he hasn't done anything. Um, so really not getting any production out of the bottom of the lineup. And they were the ones that were scrapping by that run at the end of the game to win us games early on. And it's just not happening. Oddly, we're getting the most production out of Gerard Dyson when he plays down there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, oh so he's hitting like 333 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it's not good when Gerard Dyson, you, you might have the best chance to win when you put him in, right? Yeah, like, uh, so yeah, we it's just it's a desert down there for us right now, and it's it's hurting our top the top of our lineup's ability to drive runs in, right? And so Whit Merrifield doesn't hit with anybody on base, Carlos Santana does not hit with anybody on base a lot of the time, and so that that hurts that hurts our ability to produce runs. I, I saw somebody bring this up, and I don't know that it's necessarily all that valid to talk about, but I wanted to bring it up. Do you think it would be better to keep Santana at two and keep Benintendi down at seven to generate somebody at the bottom to give you something? Yes, I do. I really do. Um, I love Benintendi as a hitter. Right now, you would have to say that he or Santana have been the best hitters for the Royals this year. Well, Salvador. Um, well, Salvador Perez, sorry. It's it's like a three-person race um, in that regard. Uh, I believe Benintendi is leading the team in batting average. Um, and so uh, I think, I think that's the case. Uh, maybe Salvador Perez overtook him this week or something, but yeah. So those three are the only ones really hitting. Um, but I definitely, I think it would be better to sort of move him down and give him the opportunity to one, drive in some runs with guys ahead of him and two, sort of kickstart the, the bottom half of the lineup. Right. Um, you know, get, get guy, get him on base for guys like Michael A. Taylor and Nicky Lopez. The problem that they're going to have is, there's just no option to replace some of these guys, right? Like a bit, I mean, we can talk about production at the bottom of the lineup, but part of the problem is the talent at the bottom of the lineup. Like yeah. Nikki, Nikki Lopez is not a professional, a major league quality hitter. Michael A. Taylor is a fringe major league quality hitter. I mean, the fact that he plays such great defense in center field makes him a fringe quality major league hitter, but he's hitting on, he's got an OPS under two, under 650. He's just not a, a great hitting option. And so those two, remember we said early on that like if they're automatic outs, we're in trouble. Right now they're automatic outs and we're in trouble, right? Yeah. And so, and I mean, to their credit or to spread some blame around, Jorge, Jorge Soler isn't hitting, uh, Hunter Dozier's not really hitting. He got hot for a day or something like that. Um, and so it's it sort of goes further than those two right now, but I don't think those two, it's going to ever really expand and be all, all, all that much better. Yeah, and, and that kind of brings us to our next part here. How do we turn this around? We're going to get Mondesi back at some point. That automatically gives you a better option to get, well, let's be honest, just to get Nicky Lopez out of the everyday hitting shortstop role that he's in right now. It lengthens your lineup a little bit. It gives you another option. I assume he'll start down at the bottom uh, hitting seven or eight, probably seven, honestly. Um, he's going to be in Arizona right now getting consistent at bats. So I don't know if it's going to be Arizona rehab assignment, Kansas city, or if it's just going to be Arizona, take a 
ton of at bats down there and then come straight to wherever we're playing. But that's going to hopefully be something to bolster the lineup, especially the bottom of the lineup, because you're kicking somebody out that's down there. And then um, maybe get a little some excitement on the base paths, somebody who can drive the ball a little bit more and be an option. Now he's still going to struggle with some of those things that we talked about swinging at premium pitches because that's the player that he is. But it gives you, I think, a more solid defensive option, and it's going to improve your lineup. Yeah, the, there's a great chain reaction from Mondesi coming in. We can't bank on him like being ready right away, having his timing right away, like starting to hit right away. Can't bank on that, but you can bank on the notion that he's going to be a better hitter than Nicky Lopez. He's going to be a better shortstop than Nicky Lopez. And so bolsters your team immediately, right? Also, it gives you the stolen base threat, which is great. But getting Nicky out of the lineup every day will, I think, improve some things. The problem is you can't get everybody out of the lineup every day who's struggling. And so, like, Michael A. Taylor is going to be in there. That's just how it's going to be until maybe Kyle Isbell shows that he's ready to come back up in, in Omaha. Maybe he comes up. Uh, Edward Olivares is destroying the ball in AAA right now, and but he's and, not a center fielder. And so... And and yeah. so is Isbell. Isbell's hitting pretty well down there in AAA he's hitting as well. okay. So I think he had two hits yesterday again. He had two hits. Both soft singles. That. He's he had not a double. really crushing no, he had a double yesterday. Was it yesterday? I thought it was the day before yesterday. Could but, have been the day before. I don't know. You know, they show you the, um, what you missed on Twitter. So sometimes I get my days mixed up. <laughs> I lose like entire days. Have you ever seen Memento? It's based on my life. After a killer homestand during which the Royals had to face two good teams in the Indians and White Sox, the boys in blue get a short reprieve with a trip to Detroit before heading to Chicago for another three-game set with the Sox. Dear Lord, haven't we suffered enough? That team's good. They're real good, except for mm. their manager. <laughs> this is what's interesting. <laughs> there's like a lot of there's like a lot of talk in what in uh, Chicago about like firing Larusa because he's losing these close games with like m- terrible managerial decisions. Yeah, and so like including like, like not knowing the rules of the game yeah. and stuff. Like well, that. and uh, then letting Billy Hamilton hit like a oh. lot. <laughs> Like, what he do thinks Billy Hamilton is Ricky Henderson. I think he thinks <laughs> Billy Hamilton. He's like, I think I saw that guy. He broke a, yeah, he started, he played for me in Oakland back in uh, 1988 or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, thank you, Tony LaRusso, for being a terrible manager. Um, so maybe he'll lose a couple games for him here and there and, and keep it close or something. I don't know. But we'll, we'll go to Detroit for a three game set and then the White Sox for a three game set. We got an off day on Monday. That's tomorrow. Gosh, um, they need that off they day. Need it? Oh, they need it so bad. Uh, go out, play golf, get your mind right, do whatever you got to do because uh, it ain't good right now. Mike, tell us a little bit about Detroit and what they're going to look like. Well, we just saw Detroit beat them in a four-game series, swept them, which uh, we need that again. You've got to beat the teams you're better than, and there aren't a ton of them in the division right now. <laughs> so beat up on Detroit. They are 10-24. and 24. They are not a good team. They are one of the bottom five teams in baseball probably. Uh, I do like some of their young starting pitching. They've only won two of their last 10 games, so you've got to stay on top of them. Uh, we get Singer versus Mize, it looks like, on Tuesday. Probably. Probably, yeah. They didn't really announce, but this is assuming they stick on the schedule they're on, uh, which the Royals, who knows? They may not. Mize has a, was a number one pick overall. He's got a 4.41 ERA. He's still trying to find it at the major league level, I feel like, but he's going to be a guy that they continue to look at because he was a number one overall pick out of Auburn. Maybe uh, for the second game with probables, Duffy versus Spencer Turnbull. Turnbull's 4.74, maybe used as kind of an opener here, a bullpen kind of game. But he's got some ability, but he's never shown the ability to consistently be good in Major League Baseball. And then the guy that I like most probably on their staff 
Keller will go against, I can't remember if it's pronounced Tarek or Tarek. I think it's Tarek. Scooble, big, tall, lefty. He's got a high ERA, 5.67, but he's got really good stuff. And that's kind of what uh, they're banking on with him. He's young as well. He kind of, if you're going to profile him, he kind of profiles like a young Danny Duffy did back in the day. A guy that had really good stuff, did not command it hardly at all, so couldn't go deep into games. But he throws his fastball a lot. Uh, again, that was like that was what Duffy was early in his career. He threw the fastball a ton. And so uh, you have an opportunity here in pitching matchup-wise to get three wins. And uh, I don't know if you can ever expect to win three games in a row in Major League Baseball in a series, but this is probably as close to expecting as you can. Yeah, and Detroit's had some trouble scoring runs. Their offense is so bad. Yeah. Uh, they're 27th in runs right now. You go look at the lineup they consistently run out. Just a desert over there. You think the Royals are struggling to score runs? You haven't seen anything until you've seen who, this Tigers the, team trying. Who's the hit. best hitter in Detroit's lineup right now, do you think? Is it Robbie Grossman? Is it, it Robbie might, Grossman? He, 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 I think he has the highest on base, <laughs> actually, <laughs> yes. I think he has the highest on base. Uh, there's that Harold Ramirez, I think is his name. I think he's, he hasn't played every game. He's only got like 45, 48, 50 plate appearances. He's got a decent batting average. The thing is like his batting average is like 305 or something. His slugging is also 305. He's got 13 hits. They're all singles. Mm. Um, so like they'll get, they'll have stuff like that. Grossman's got a decent on base, but he's only hitting 220 or, you know, a decent slugging, but he's the on base is terrible. They just don't have anybody who's really consistently hitting the ball uh, right now. And so, Now's a good time to go in there and get your pitching straightened out because uh, nobody there is going to hit you unless you make huge mistakes. After, the, after Detroit, another three-game set against the White Sox. They're 19-13 and 13 after sweeping us, and they now lead the AL Central. Uh, as you know from the recent series, talent up and down that lineup, talent up and down the pitching staff. We don't have probables, but odds are we're going to see one of Rodon, Giolito, and Lance Lynn again. And so real tough matchups pitching wise, uh, solid bullpen, Anderson, Abreu, Mercedes, uh, just a bunch Moncado. of killers in the lineup. I always Moncado forget about Moncado. Moncado. I don't know why I always forget about him. Super impressive dude. Phenomenal third baseman. That okay, play he this almost... is Royals <laughs> weekly, Mike. This Sorry, is not the... Moncado weekly. <laughs> the play he almost made at third, I think it was today. I can't remember who was running, but it popped out of Abreu's glove. And it was like, oh my gosh, had he made that play, you'd have been like, oh, you know, Mike not, was sitting not. among the Mike, Mike was sitting among the fellowship at the rings, and he was like, That's Sauron, he is amazing. He just does some amazing <laughs> stuff. You want to talk about okay, him? Take it easy, nerd. All right. Like, I know. Nobody, nobody knows what you're talking to, about. I know. I was trying to think of a reference people might get, you know, like uh, without going super dark. Um, yeah. and so <laughs> I'm not yeah. over here cheering for Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers or anything. I'm not talking yeah. about yeah, that was oh, Mike. Know, that was, was Mike. Re- you know, it's really up good. To the, that linebacking core for Tampa Bay. They're really yeah. good. <laughs> leading up to the Super Bowl, Mike was like, let's talk about how great Tom Brady is. Um, and so, yeah, White Sox are really good. Nobody gives a you-know-what. Uh, and so it's going to be a tough tough series there. But hopefully they run in on a three-game winning streak and they build some momentum and take them down. That'd be uh, great. We'll end this week like we end every week with our Just a Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting us outside of baseball. Mike, what have you been fascinated with outside of baseball this week? Uh, the drop, if you will, of the Kansas City Sports Network. Um, I've always been a big Arrowhead Pride fan and a contingent of the era of the nerd squad, as they're called. They're a contingent of bloggers, but mostly podcasters from that organization, from that blog. 
um, has moved to the Kansas City Sports Network, which if you haven't followed in local sports media the last couple of years, there's a sports media production company called Let It Fly Media out of Kansas City that has been slowly kind of taking some people from different organizations. They got BJ Kissel from the Chiefs. They got a guy named Tom Martin from, I can't remember what channel he was at, but uh, from a local sports uh, news station. And then this week they announced that Let It Fly Media is going to put out Kansas City Sports Network. Now, right now they're just doing Chiefs coverage, uh, but I assume that they're going to consider expanding. So there'll be podcasts, blogs, a newsletter, all these different things. They also got three uh, former players in Mike DeVito, uh, Jeff Allen, and uh, who's the dude that used to do BJ Kissel's podcast with him and still does. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Played for the Saints for a long time. Local guy went to Kansas State. Hilarious. <laughs> I'm just forgetting his name right now. That reminds me of the thing where uh, the uh, You're Welcome America thing where he's like, and Marvin, they're great too. <laughs> he's great too. Um, but anyway, they, they, they so they're doing something in local sports media that is interesting to me. They're, they're basically bringing a localized online sports presence, if that makes sense. And I think that's interesting. I like the people that they got that are involved. Matt Derrick is also there, a, a, a local uh, sports journalist. He was a beat writer for the Chiefs for a while. So I think it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on uh, moving forward in, in Kansas City sports media. And before too long, obviously, they're going to reach out to Royals Weekly yeah, and say, I mean, hey, we'll, we'll see, though. I mean, we'll, I'm not... Will we be playing the song Sell Out by Real Big Fish at that point? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Will we be going the, you know, Zuckerberg Facebook route and just like selling out? No, I don't think so. Uh, we're an independent brand. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, if you want uh, anything, just give us enough money and we'll, we'll do it. Um, so no big deal. <laughs> the thing that has interested me this week is internet people. Mike saw this on the rundown and he's like, what does that mean? Everybody hates internet people. I don't hate internet people. When I'm talking about internet people, I'm talking about people that I have to interact with on the internet to sell my stuff. So as some of you may know, I am moving back to Kansas City. Woo, woo, um, woo. I took a job at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and I will be moving back to Kansas City soon. As a result, I need to sell things. Mike, you had a quick, thought? Yes. Quick note on that. Nobody really knows what this job is, including you. Um, yeah. So who knows? He could be cleaning the floors. He could be you know, a beautiful minding it on the window. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And that's okay. As long as they're paying me, I don't really care, but I have to sell all my stuff or give it away or something. And you, if you ever had the experience of interacting with Craigslist, you know that you get ghosted like 50% of the time. And that that's what drives me nuts. Internet people are insanely unreliable. I'm a very punctual person. I have to be on time or actually early everywhere I go. And so when an internet person says, I'll be there at four and shows up at five 30, I get irate. I, I am, just, I am beside myself. And then I start like in my mind, I create like internet people as like a, as like an archetype. There's an internet people archetype in my mind. And this person is a terrible human being. Right. And so that's, what's been fascinating me this week. What is the psychology of someone who could say, this person is selling me their thing. I don't give a shit about their time. I'm just going to show up to their house whenever. Um, and so that, that's just nuts to me. Just nuts. And um, you know what's crazy? I've actually had really good experiences with Craigslist. What kind of sociopath <laughs> does that? What kind of crazy serial killer does something like that? 
just well, nuts. If you go on Craigslist, you're gonna meet some serial killers. Like that's, you know this, right? I, know. Like, I that's assumed. A, right? That's a thing. You go fishing out on the internet for randos to buy your stuff. You better expect some weirdness. All right. Especially um, when you're selling yard implements like chainsaws. I should have known that was an attract a, a serial killer <laughs> element. Yeah, you sell it a wood chipper today. You, oh, now does a weirdo to show up? <laughs> I know. What, what He's was like, going on there? Just, just I to ask you a question: How well does it handle plastic trash bags? Just, to, just <laughs> <laughs> nothing specific there. Have you ever seen the movie or the show Dexter? No, you haven't. You should watch it. It's a great, <laughs> great uh, piece of content. documentary. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, internet people are getting to me this week. Before too long, all my stuff will be gone, and I'll just be back in Kansas City, and then no more internet people. I'll be happy yeah. about it. Yeah. That's all we have for this week. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, review, come back and listen to us. We know it's tough right now for the Royals fan fan base, but we'll always be here for you as long as you subscribe, rate, and review.